Welcome to World on Fire Podcast. My name is Nicholas Schweitzer. As we've covered in the past previous two episodes from June 6, 1944 to September 1944, the Allied forces had begun making unbelievable time in Europe. The great Nazi war machine that once revolutionized the invasion operations were now having the same war felt dealt back at them, and from two sides. While the Soviets were already well into their great patriotic war in the East, the Allies in the West were quickly making their way through Belgium, and now they were pushing to the interior of Germany, battling desperately in the Herkenwald area. However, the Germans were not so quickly to give up. From September to October, the Germans were pounding the Allies back, ensuring that every inch of German territory would only come with a bloody price tag. You know, as we covered earlier, basically it would cost more than one man per yard that the Allies would take. Yet, this was not Hitler's only plan. His plan was not just to beat the Allies back in the West. He planned one of the largest military offensive operations on the Western Front. And ultimately, it would be their very last fruitful offensive of the war. Carefully planning and moving men into the Ardennes who had a rich history from World War I, which once led a large German Empire victory. And on December 16th, 400,000 Germans would make their final assault and hope to surround and crush the British and Americans. In the beginning hours of that day, before dawn on the 16th, the Battle of the Bulge had officially begun. So, I think it's important to talk about how this butts up directly to the Battle of the Hurricane. So, you know, as we kind of talked about in the past previous two episodes, um, talking about the prelude to the Battle of the Hurricane and what the 28th Infantry Division would ultimately go through in the Hurricane, they were just one example of dozens of different infantry battalions um, that or divisions that would fight in the Hurricane uh, trying to break through the Siegfried Line. What they did not know was that the Germans were preparing for an incredibly large winter offensive against them. Um, they were staging themselves into the Ardennes forest in Belgium. Uh, this is also, just like the Hurricane, a, a very dense uh, forest that, like I stated earlier, in World War One. It was a very, very large battle that panned out in German victory. So in a sense, there's this almost, oh, how would you put it? It's kind of their lucky charm. The Ardennes Forest brings luck. If you attack out of the Ardennes, if it worked once, it'll work twice. Why exactly did they choose to do this massive operation when they were already fighting the Soviet Union on the Eastern Front? The Americans and the British had already made it to the Hurkin, um and, and the Siegfried Line, and they were more or less on the doorstep of Germany within a couple hundred miles, trying to make their way to Cologne. Um, and, and the reason why was resources. Germany needed resources. Not only did they need resources, they had to cut off the Western Allies' resources. And how in Europe at that time, that was feeding the Allies constantly, was the port of Antwerp. Now, 
Antwerp is a, a city in northern Belgium that the Allies were using extensively. Uh, it was once under German control. The Allies ended up taking it over, and the Germans have really never kind of recovered from that. Uh, it, Antwerp was feeding the Allies on the Western Front. So Hitler devises this plan that he is going to launch a massive winter offensive out of the Ardennes with the main goal of cutting the British and the Americans in half and then ultimately taking Antwerp. That is a very brief cover of what this offensive was about. We're going to go into a little bit more detail. Um, but what their plan was, too, was they were going to encircle the British, allowing no incoming or outgoing men. Thus, it would lead to British divisions to collapse either by surrendering, surrendering or by fighting to the death. Um, Adolf Hitler tapped a gentleman by the name of Field Marshal Gerd von Rundstedt. He was a seasoned soldier and a, and a general. Uh, he fought in the first battle of the Marne in 1914, and by World War II was a ferocious general and commander of Army Group A of the Wehrmacht. Uh, he commanded troops in the Battle of France, uh, and he would be promoted to Field Marshal in 1940 and would lead Army Group South during Operation Barbarossa against the Soviet Union. However, in December of 1941, he would be relieved of his command for the first time when he authorized the withdrawal from Mostov. Um, it really wouldn't last that long as he was recalled. Uh, he was recalled being the commander in chief on the Western Front. However, after the Normandy landings on June 6th, he would be relieved for a second time, only to be recalled again one last time in 1944. So Rundstedt at this point has been fired twice and rehired twice. Um, and this kind of really shows the ugly face of what the distrust that Adolf Hitler had for his own military, and especially as the war exceeded. Adolf Hitler felt like his commanders were incompetent, and he was the most competent. When we go over Adolf Hitler in a later series, we're going to really understand kind of why he fought and it's, it's too long of a thing to go over in this episode, but we just need to understand that that was the state of the military. You mess up, you get fired, you get recalled, you get fired, you get recalled. Um, and, and then obviously there were more dangerous situations where, you know, um, you know, he would suspect that you were treasonous. And, you know, that could ultimately lead to your death. However, for von Rundstedt, uh, Hitler knew he was a great general, so he would keep bringing him back. Von Rundstedt would, however, not be alone in leading his men in this operation. Uh, the 5th Panzer Army, who would be one of the larger uh, armored fighting forces, was led by Baron Hasso von Wenteufel. Uh, he would be directed to blow the, the American lines to the south. And the 6th Panzer Army, led by SS Commander Sepp Dietrich, would head for the British in the north. It's kind of interesting to stop right here because Dietrich ended up coming out later stating that he felt like he was overpromoted. He felt like he wasn't the caliber to lead such an operation and a movement and the amount of men that he had to control. 
we got to understand that the Waffen SS was not an official attachment of the German army at the time. It was not a part of the Wehrmacht. The Waffen SS, the SS, was a paramilitary group. So he felt like he was overpromoted. Now he was a combat veteran. He was a, a combat leader. However, to be put in charge of the 6th Panzer Army, he felt like it was way overboard for him. However, he could not go and say, hey, this is too much for me. At this stage in the war, you really had to be careful with what you would bring to the OKW. Now, prior to December 16th, when the Battle of the Bulge would officially begin, when the Ardennes Offensive would start for the Germans, uh, they would gather all of their manpower and resources, totaling over 400,000 soldiers, 557 tanks, 667 tank destroyers, over 1,000 armored fighting vehicles, 4,000 artillery pieces, and in all, would have 13 infantry divisions, 7 armored, and 1 complete armored brigade. Understanding that the Allied air power could quickly dissipate the operation. The Germans needed to ensure that the weather was going to be bad. It had to be bad enough to where planes could not support the Allies. So, on December 15th, Hitler was given a meteorological report that they would be clear for the next week. And that night, Adolf Hitler gave the order that in the early morning of the next day, the Ardennes Offensive would officially kick off. Uh, and at 0530, on the 16th, the German lines erupted with volleys of artillery strikes, lasting close to 90 minutes. Um, American forces were hunkered in uh, for those that had fought in the Battle of the Hurricane. Uh, they were used to heavy artillery strikes, and, and they thought that this was ultimately a counterattack from a previous engagement, and not expecting a full assault on their positions. Now, while the weather proved to be in favor of keeping Allied aircraft grounded, the winter storm that moved in proved to also hamper the movement and the speed of the Germans. And with this being said, Germans caught the, caught the Americans by surprise easily and were able to knock them back almost 50 miles in certain areas of the front, thus creating the bulge. However, there was one city in Belgium that was almost a necessity to take due to its proximity to major roadways and intersections, and that was the city of Bastogne. Before we dive too far into the city of Bastogne, I, I want to cover two events that took place. Um, and these both happened in the, the very early days of the offensive, literally the 17th of December. Um, as I stated earlier, the, the Ardennes offensive was a shock and awe tactic and had separated many American and British units. The reason why was the Germans were anticipating green units and tired units that would not be prepared to defend against such an offensive. And in some cases, they were right. In some. Not all, but in some. Um, however, 
due to the fact that it caught the Allies off guard, it led to an increased amount of Allied service members surrendering to the Germans. The problem is that these prisoners of wars were not prisoners of war were not simply turned over to the Wehrmacht, um, but they were turned over to the Waffen SS. Um, more so, Kampfgruppe Piper, uh, which was led by Nazi war criminal Joachim Piper, and on December seventh or December seventeenth, the day after the offensive began. 120 American POWs were marched to a farmer's field near near Malmedy, uh, and where Piper gave the order to open fire. Of the 120 in the field, 84 would be killed in cold blood, with 36 escaping by quite literally playing dead under the bodies of their comrades. Uh, some had initially um, evaded the shots and uh, decided to run to a small cafe and hide. Uh, their pursuers would quickly catch up to them and catch the cafe on fire. And if the Americans ran out of the cafe, they would machine gun them to death. So they really only had two options. Um, go outside and be machine gunned to death or burned to death in the cafe. And on the same date near Melody, uh, 11 African-American soldiers from the 333rd Field Artillery Battalion uh, would be cut off from their unit under heavy fire from the Waffen-SS. And rather than be killed, the 11 Americans ran through the woods and hid in a small hamlet of Wareth. Uh, this so happened, a wife of a German soldier lived there and informed the 1st SS Panzer Division of Black Troops hiding in the town. They were quickly surrounded where the men in hiding um, surrendered without incident. They would be marched also to a nearby field, badly beaten, and then eventually murdered, and all 11 would die. While the Wareth 11 would not be discovered until after the battle, those who survived the Malmedy massacre would return to American lines informing others of what had taken place. The information would generate a no-quarter code again amongst men and create more fierce resistance against the Germans for the remainder of the war on the Western Front. Now this brings us back to Bastogne. And this was probably the biggest site uh, of a battle during the Battle of the Bull. Uh, von Manteuffel's 5th Panzer Army began their attack towards the city of Bastogne, where they would face head-on with U.S. General Anthony McCawful First Airborne Division that was rerouted to defend the city after the battle had begun. The 101st Airborne, uh, with little, uh, with a little over 11,000 men, if I remember correctly, they had 11,000 enlisted, 800 officers, give some, take some, and their job was to dig in, build a perimeter around the city, and protect it at all costs. Um, like I said, they were the closest proximity to some of the biggest motorways and junctions um, that would allow for smooth sailing to Antwerp and throughout Belgium. So Bastogne was incredibly important to the Germans. And on December 20th, four days after the offensive had began, German forces would launch their attack on the city. The Americans were outnumbered five to one 
And remember, they had no air support. The Screaming Eagles were left on their own to defend the city in fierce fighting. After the second day, on December 22nd, the Germans realized that they now had the Americans surrounded, and Panzer Corps Commander General von Littwitz submitted a demand for surrender of the 101st Airborne to General McAuffel. McAuffel's response to the letter is probably one of the most memorable responses to an enemy general in history. Simply put, in his response, nuts. The fighting in the city would continue. The men would be hammered with artillery, gunfire, grenades, mortars, and attack after attack, yet they were still able to hold their positions. Now it's important at this time to understand kind of what's happening else on the lines. There is an American general that quite possibly thought that the Germans would do a very large counterattack and they would focus on the city of Bastogne. That general commander, or that American commander, just so happened to be General George S. Patton. And now, George S. Patton has quite the history. I'm using a very aggressive commander. And he was hell-bent on winning the war. Period. There was nothing else he wanted more than the accolades of being the one to do it. Now, George S. Patton made a name for himself in the North African campaign with the 3rd Armored Division. Now, the 3rd Army was not directly involved in the Battle of the Bulk at first. They were going to come in as a relief force. General George S. Patton was informed of this encirclement at Bastogne, and without a second of hesitation, he sent elements of his legendary armored units to give the 101st relief and to break that encirclement. He knew that the 101st Airborne could not hold it forever, and they needed help. On Christmas Eve, December 24th, the Allied prayers had finally been answered, but not because the armored division showed up. The weather cleared. The one thing that the Germans had not really counted on was the weather clearing. And the second the weather cleared, the United States Army Air Corps went to the skies and immediately began giving direct air support to infantry units on the ground. With that, they were able to push back some of the German offensive. Not all of it, but most of it. Two days later, on the 26th, element of Patton's 3rd Army had reached the city of Bastogne and pulverized the Germans on the outside of the city. Basically, what ended up happening was the Germans would be pinched between armored division and infantry divisions. And they had nowhere to go. And thus themselves became encircled. While the Germans took out so many different pieces 
of other units to reinforce the ones fighting at Bastogne. They no longer had the capabilities to push towards Antwerp. They could no longer push toward the Meuse. The offensive was quickly crumbling. Now, while the Battle of the Bulge was much more than the Siege of Bastogne, Bastogne would be the final nail in the coffin for the offensive. Uh, U.S. and British troops counterattacked at the end of December and eliminated the Bulge, creating, uh, created by the German offensive. With the increased pressure, the Germans would begin to withdraw their troops from the Bulge on January 8th, 1945. And the Allies were determined to push harder than ever. U.S. 11th Armored connected with the 2nd Armored and the 84th Infantry Division and Hoffelies. On January 16th, they eliminated all advance the Germans had made. Everything that they had done during the Ardennes Offensive, they wiped clean. Now they decided to not take a break. The Americans can now cross an almost undefeated, undefended Siegfried line that had halted them in the hurricane. So let's think about this for a minute. The Siegfried line was one of the most heavily defended areas on the Western Front leading up to this moment. What the Germans had failed to do was reinforce that line as they sent men across it to attack the Allies in the West. By doing so, they exhausted basically every defense they had if the Americans were able to suppress the offensive, which they did. So, by the time the Allies had made it back to the Siegfried Line, there was nobody there to fight. And if there were, they were very small, um, you know, Volkstrom or, you know, the, the civilian militia, if you will, that they would be basically mopped up with ease. So what makes it more interesting is around the same exact time, the Soviets would launch an offensive in Poland. Um, and what this now creates is instead of the Germans defending on one end and fighting an offensive on the other, they were now fighting an offensive on two sides. And they were getting crushed on both. The Battle of the Bulge was incredibly costly to the Germans. Um, they would have about 100,000 wounded, with roughly 25,000 killed, and the Americans would give a little over 80,000 men casualties, hurt, wounded, or killed. Um, and it just wasn't enough. The Germans were unable to make an impact. And by doing so, they thinned their men even further and had left a wide open path for the Allies in the West to cross into Germany. By doing so, the Battle of the Hürgen and the Ardennes Offensive had officially ended. In all, during the Battle of the Bulge, 17 Americans would be awarded the Medal of Honor for their actions. 
And the massacres that would take place would ultimately fuel a fire under the Americans as they pushed further and further east towards Berlin. I think this is where I'm going to wrap it up. I didn't want to go in too overly deep, as I feel like eventually I will do a series over the Battle of the Bulge itself. And the direct outcomes with the OKW and the Nazi High Command, and how it would ultimately lead to the downfall of Nazi Germany. With that being said, our next series will cover the 8th Air Force and their fight over the skies of Germany. The very first episode in that series will be in two Fridays, so two weeks from today, on the 23rd of June. And thank you guys so much for listening, and I will talk to you then.